right, little family biz. We're going to continue talking about, we're on this series of talking about where are we going as a church. And so you've heard over the last few weeks that our vision is to be near and like Jesus. And our mission, how we're going to do that, how we're going to be near and like Jesus, to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. So if you want to know more about that, look to, look to the last few podcasts or videos, and you'll see us describing that. Uh, we're going to talk, we've been talking, uh, we talked last week about what a disciple of Jesus looks like. We're going to do what, how, and who. Uh, I don't know if you liked it as much as I did, but I just thought, Anna, crushed this thing of what it looks like to be a disciple. Just the simple summary in Matthew 28. 18 through 20 in Acts 2:36 to 47. We've got this fun little handy-dandy picture we draw that talks about our identity. That's the top circle in our baptism. And then how we obey Jesus. That's what, that's what we do. A disciple just does what Jesus does. He lives the life Jesus lives. And so we call this our discipleship map. You go to JesusIsTheVision.com and see that. So we talked about what? We're going to talk about how did Jesus make disciples. How did Jesus make disciples? How did people learn how to imitate, to apprentice under, to, to become like this Jesus? And it's the reason it's so important we know how. So some of that, like the what stuff, my guess is if you've been in church for a while, um, that none of that's new to you. In fact, the response I've gotten from most people that I've showed the Jesus the vision, they're like, yeah, I already know that. And this is the sermon you need to hear if you're saying, yeah, I already know that. Okay, so tune in. I already know that. Everybody who's here, here's the good news. Fusion's on retreat. Um, Fusion's seen that Jesus, how the discipleship map more than anyone, and they, their eyes start to glaze over. They've seen it so many times, uh, which is, it's a good thing, actually. But how did Jesus make disciples? It's so important that we know how Jesus did it. Because to be disciples of Jesus, who make disciples of Jesus, we have to do it how Jesus did it. How he did it was as, as important as what he did. How he did it was as, it, it's as important as what he did. And so that's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just talk about. And there's, there's three um, kind of movements you can see, or aspects you can see of Jesus' discipleship. Uh, a real helpful conversation partner in this, a guy named Mike Breen, who wrote, wrote a book called Building a Discipling Culture. And that's where he got really clear to me when I read the way he categorized this. Um, Jesus did it through classroom, apprenticing us, teaching us, us learning in a classroom environment, through apprenticeship, and then through immersion. So I'm going to talk about, I'm going to show how Jesus did each of these and then talk about them a little bit. So if you look, where, what, what, is, what I mean by classroom, it's really content transfer. And we're really familiar with this. This is what I'm doing right now, okay? Content transfer. And so we see Jesus, he saw the crowds, and he went up on a mountainside, sat down. His disciples came to him, the ones he's discipling, and he began to teach them. Real simple, just giving them content. And even Jesus, with his disciples, he, he'd have times where he's teaching Parables, and they'd have to come close. And this one, Matthew 13, says that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him. He got into a boat and sat in it while the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. And skipping ahead a little bit to verse 10, it says the disciples came to him and said, why, why do you speak to the people in parables? He, he replied, 
Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. In other words, they're not getting it. I'm trying to help them get it. But listen, guys, to what the parable of the sower means. So he'd actually take his disciples, crowds and disciples, two different things. We're going to talk about it next week. Crowds and disciples are two different things. But he'd, he'd pull his disciples and just explain the content of the message. Now, the apprenticeship idea it is more like, I like this, uh, uh, this is called, we call it the mall method, M-A-W-L. Uh, to be mauled doesn't actually sound that great. Um, <laughs> but but uh, it's, this, it's this thing of uh, apprenticeship is where you model something to someone else. And then you assist them to do what you modeled. And then you say, you do it, and you watch them. And then you back away and say, launch, go. And I'm available if you need me. Does that make sense? So model assist, uh, watch, and launch. And we actually see Jesus doing this very thing. So it's interesting. When Jesus calls his disciples, Mark tells us in chapter 3, Jesus went up on a mountainside, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So Jesus, Jesus calls these guys, but he knows where he's going with them. Does it make sense? He wants them to be with him. Come and be with me. And I have an agenda of where I'm taking you. And then we see early Jesus' ministry. He's called these guys and he goes throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Later in the passage, he's driving out demons. So, then we see further in Luke 9, he's called the 12 together and Jesus gives them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. The very thing they just had watched him do. And then they come back. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. They took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. In other words, he, Jesus said, go do it. Now I'm going to assist. Let's, let's do some feedback. How'd this go? What did you learn? Well, oh, yeah, that was a good idea. Not a great idea. Okay, and then we see Jesus, then in the following chapter in Luke 10, expanding his, his training circle here. He says, Jesus then appointed 72 others, sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go. And here's what he tells them. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So same thing he did with the 12. And then they come back. And here, here's their debrief. It says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What a cool little teaching moment, right? So they're, they're, they've seen Jesus casting out demons. Jesus having authority over these weird things going on. And he just say, go away, and they go away. And then he gives them authority. They go out and do it. And they're like, what is happening? This is working. And Jesus, so he comes, they come back and feedback to Jesus. And he gives his teaching. Like, yeah, that's fine and all. 
But really what you, you're, you're, what's most important is your identity. That you're, that you're one of fathers. So we see this very kind of apprenticeship thing. And really, this is the whole arc that Jesus does with his disciples all the way. So his last long conversation we have with him in John chapters 14 through 17. Jesus is talking to the, the, the disciples and he says, hey, I'm going to leave you guys. And they're like, what? And he says, now I'm, go- I'm going to him who sent me. But none of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Think about this. Think about this. It's no accident that Jesus left. Has anybody thought it's weird that Jesus left? I remember Philip Yancey, the author, I agree with him, he said that, I, I haven't, he said, I haven't struggled most with Jesus' resurrection. I've struggled most with Jesus' ascension. That, that, that he's not just walking around and he himself is 2,000 years old and looking 33, vim and vigor, which is a couple scars. But this was actually Jesus' plan so that when Jesus' last words to the disciples as he's ascending to heaven, says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. They know what a disciple is. Why? They've been discipled. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Jesus is with them by the Holy Spirit. He's already talked to them about this. This is the ark, this apprenticeship ark, that Jesus took his disciples through. Then, we see this immersion thing. What, is, what do we mean by immersion? Immersion is the idea of simply being there. Being there. How many of you guys have studied a foreign language in school? How many of you guys are able to speak that foreign language? Right? My mom was a French teacher in high school, by the way. My high school. So I had my mom as my French teacher in high school. And she's the sweetest woman who's ever breathed. Bonjour! Comment ça va? Ça va bien? And I'm like, Mom. <laughs> but I will say, nobody made fun of ma- Mom when I was in, I was in the class because I, you know, I was a little defensive of the, the uh, French teacher. Yeah, many of us have had content transfer, but not much immersion with language. Children learn language through immersion, don't they? It's actually completely amazing that this little human can learn a complex language by just hanging around in it. Isn't it amazing? You think about it? But there's something about just being there. In fact, it's so cool going back to where Jesus went up on a mountainside, called to him those he wanted, they came to him. And why did he appoint? He appointed 12 that they might be with him. Just being with him mattered. There's, it's, you've heard the phrase, more is caught than taught. That's what immersion is. It's this it's things being caught. And you can see it just kind of in the examples of Jesus when it comes just, just if you look at just Jesus and his prayer life. So Jesus would get up very early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now what was happening in the background is crowds are showing up to find Jesus. So Simon and his buddies go to look for Jesus. 
And they're like, what's wrong with you? Everyone's looking for you. You've got a photo op possibility here, man. But what Jesus had done was one way to pray instead. And so then, then there's another time. We say once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. He's doing this on purpose, guys. But what's Jesus doing? Why is he not talking? He's praying. I don't know. What are we going to do? I don't know. Just sit here. Wait until he's done. I don't know. Another time, this is a fun one, that um, another situation says that eight days after Jesus had done a teaching, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. So maybe by now they're like, yeah, we're used to Jesus doing this. But what's so fun about immersion, truth be told, a lot of times you don't actually know what's going on. So, so what happened was when they went to Jesus to pray on this mountain, <laughs> uh, Jesus all of a sudden starts glowing. That's never happened during his prayer time. And Moses and Elijah show up and are hanging out with him. And so what's so fun is this, I love how Jesus disciples us. He doesn't necessarily feel like we need to know what's happening. Because Peter says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. Let's build forts. You know, Jesus is like, I used to do this with cushions at home for my couch. It's... <laughs> they genuinely didn't know what was going on sometimes with Jesus. But here's what's cool, is eventually, one day Jesus is praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said, uh, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples, will you do that? And Jesus teaches them. He goes into some of this content transfer. In the, but it was based on this immersive experience of being with Jesus and watching his life happen. Does that make sense? Okay. I would say that makes sense as if you could respond. I, I don't know why. It's just kind of like, you know, a nervous tick. Sorry. So here's the question I ask myself. How have we made disciples up to this point? Because for me, this, this, this stuff, this is stuff I've been swimming in for probably the last five or seven years, like Mike Breen and other authors like this who've been like, hey, man, you should check this out, how, how Jesus did this. And if... If I'll be, be very blunt, um, classroom, I think we do pretty good. We're too, pretty good at content transfer. In fact, we're kind of like professionals at deciding how good the content transfer was, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, we are. <laughs> me, 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 me too. I mean, like... <laughs> I spend a lot of work trying to make content transfer really work well. Make sure it's interesting and, and digestible and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, and, and it's hard for me not to want to hear that was a good message. But the funny thing about Jesus and discipleship is um, knowing stuff's just a part of the deal. It's just a part of the deal. I, I, love, I heard Francis Chan say once, you know, he said, when I have asked my daughter to make her bed, um, it, there's never been a time when I walk in her bedroom, the bed's still unmade, and, and she said, hey, Dad, I've just been waiting uh, for the right moment for this, but I have discovered um, how to say making the bed in Greek and Hebrew, <laughs> in kind of the historical context to bed making, and uh, there's a great history to this. It might really be helpful to know, you know. I mean, 
And he's just like, I, I just kind of want you to make your bed. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we've been pretty good with content transfer in our culture. But here's a question. How have we done with like this apprenticeship thing? Of, 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 of someone that we know might be just a tiny bit farther on the road for us, modeling to us what that life looked like. And then, then saying, hey, you try it, and I'll watch you do it. And then I'll feed back. And then what I'll do is then when you're ready, I'll launch. And, but I'm still here. <laughs> See, I, for me, maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe you're different than me. But that's super foreign to my experience. I grew up in church. I grew up in church. Awesome Family that loves Jesus. In fact, I'd say the closest thing I'd have to apprenticeship was being with my dad and grandpa sitting at the table discussing theology. Yes, we actually did that. We're a fiery group, by the way, because the joke became, it's not Christmas till mom's crying. <laughs> because my, my grandfather and I would be in some rip-roaring theological debate. We're like those guys who get drunk and beat each other up to tell each other love, they love each other, you know? Yeah, we, we took theology very seriously in my family. But I don't remember that happening in almost any other context. Maybe, maybe your experience is different than mine. With this whole apprenticeship, being watched over and then testing it and coming back and getting feedback. Or how about immersion? So here's the deal. You're always in an immersion experience all the time. Do you know that? You're learning something wherever you are. Have you, have you noticed... You just go into a new environment and everybody's acting a certain way and you kind of like go, maybe I should do that too, right? Isn't it funny? Have you ever noticed, maybe you're this way, my mom used to say, I can tell which friends you're hanging out with by the way you talk. Like if I had a little accent to it or whatever, it's because I was with that person for such a long time. You know, you catch an accent through immersion. So what's happening all the time is we're immersed in something. But if it's not a culture of discipleship, we won't turn out looking like disciples from that immersion. Does that make sense? So it's why, in some ways, we don't mean to, but we create a culture of hypocrisy. (laughs) I didn't plan any of this. It's just coming out super harsh. I don't mean it that way. But the culture of hypocrisy is this, is we walk into church services and we're just normal humans. We learn how to behave because everyone else is. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's, 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 it's normal. We're made to be like this, that we learn stuff. But when there's not the internal part, we've learned through immersion this behavior, but not necessarily learned how to be disciples. And I'll tell you, I mean, I've got the great privilege of discipling some men who, when I met them, they do not like church people. Still don't come to our church. (laughs) Because they just found what I just described. Those who learned through immersion but didn't learn to be disciples because you can't really learn to disciple just attending an event. 
You could be a concert goer. You guys ever been to a concert where you're like, man, you never wear clothes like that. Why do you, why do you look like this at the concert? You know what I mean? <laughs> Driving up in your Harley, and the truth is you wear chinos all week, you know? Uh, <laughs> I hope that didn't offend anybody, but you know what I mean. It's, it's kind of funny. The event's on the place for discipleship. So to be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus, we have to do it how Jesus did it. I, I'm telling you guys, I'm just telling you, we, we are so good at content transfer, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. But it's only one-third of two-thirds of making disciples. This classroom, apprenticeship, and immersion. The apprenticeship and immersion have to be there, or we won't turn out to be disciples. It's that simple. I mean, think about this for a second. Fortunately, there are few disciplines that do apprenticeship and immersion. Still, I've said this before, but how would you like it if you're about to get surgery and your surgeon says, I have read everything on this and written papers? Have you ever done it? No. But I know what I'm doing. I got an A on my paper. Think about this, guys. This our whole Western education system is a bit of a mess. I could go on a whole rant about it because there's people who are incredibly good at the dynamism of apprenticeship and immersion and they get graded out because they got didn't do as well in content transfer where they're actually a better practitioner than, and then they're just a thinker. And I'm a thinker. I mean, so I, I did well in school, but that's because that's just the way I'm wired. But this, uh, this is so important, guys. It's so important. So I want us to reflect how have I been discipled? This is, this is your response. How have I been discipled? And if, if the premise is true that Jesus had at least these three different things of the classroom, you got content, and then but apprenticeship, someone who's kind of watching over you. And, and let me just say, you can't say Jesus was your apprentice. It doesn't work that way. You know why I know that? Because Jesus left on purpose. He left on purpose and said to his disciples, you make disciples. It happens through God's people. You, you can't do this, just me and Jesus. It's not possible. It, if you, whatever you're doing without other people, it's just not the way Jesus did it. So we'll, we'll have an outcome, but it's not going to be the Jesus outcome, the Jesus lifestyle. So how have I been discipled? It, it, it'd be okay if you're kind of like me, it's like, not a ton. <laughs> now that I think about it, not a ton. And I'm not mad about that, by the way. Um, I'm not blaming uh, the generation before. Jennifer. Somewhere along the line, this got lost, at least in Western culture. It really got lost, and it's at epidemic level. Epidemic level. I could cite all kinds of fun stuff to, to, to talk about this. But if you haven't been, then the, the thing is just to accept it. I haven't. I've never done that stuff. If you have, oh man, be grateful to the Lord. In other words, how have I made disciples? Now, I want to say something here. The, the, ch the challenge in this moment for all of us is we live, we are like, 
the busiest people, at least in my opinion. We're, we're just so crazy. We're so constantly doing it. It makes me think of my clothes closet. I have, like, I only wear like one-tenth of my t-shirts. And I, I, I'm like, this is like, I have a little cubby where I put them in, and I put my t-shirts in like this. <laughs> you know, I have to shove it to the top of the t-shirts. And I'm like, why do I have all these t-shirts? I'm just cluttered. And I feel like life's like that, right? Life is so cluttered. And to say, now, now, I don't know, church, we're doing discipleship. Now I got to do that too. Here's what I want to suggest. Imagine if you had total amnesia. You forgot everything there was about living and about Christianity, and you pulled out the Gospels. Live like that. That's what I'm talking about with being a disciple who makes disciples. I am calling you to a life of increasing simplicity. Our problem is not going to be adding things to our lives. It's going to be, can we... I'm not asking you to prioritize discipleship. I'm saying quit everything else. Whatever hampers it, stop it. I mean, Jesus is totally doing a full life takeover. I'm telling you, it's a full life takeover. That's why it, it, it was hard for people eventually to keep on doing this Jesus thing because he'd be like, you want, you want me to do what? You want me to stop what? Yeah. Like one guy says, literally sell everything you own and you'll be one of my guys. Literally, your name will be repeated. There'll be a foundation stone at the new Jerusalem with your name on it. And the guy said, no, it's too much. He's not going to ask everybody to do that, by the way, because he didn't ask everybody to, to sell everything. But he, whatever your everything is, he's after it. An entire life revamp. When we say we're baptized, we're baptized into his death. Death is dead, like totally dead. It's a very obvious symbol because now no longer I live, it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's literally like this, literally believing I literally don't know how to live. I don't know how to live. Jesus, rebuild me. Love your enemies? Okay, that sounds brutal, but I'm in. Show me how. You know, give away stuff, trust me, daily? Okay, yikes, here we go. Is it true that Jesus is the smartest man to have ever lived and knows how life actually works? So, so, so if you're feeling the kind of, this, <gasps> I got to re-up, I got to get to, no, 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 this, this is about, for most of us, getting rid of stuff. We were praying for you guys this morning, and, and I said, Lord, what do you want to do this morning? And Anna had a picture of an exit sign. She didn't know what I was gonna, that I was going to be focusing on this. I, and she, I said, well, what do you think that means? I just feel like with Jesus, he just wants stuff to exit. It can just go ahead and exit. You know, I, I cleaned my garage a few weeks ago, which turns out is my le- wife's love language. She's like, this is such a turn on, man, the clean garage. I was like... Why did it take me 27 years to figure this out? But <laughs> I didn't really ask her to share that. Sorry. But <laughs> she, she doesn't care. So. She's a strong, strong woman. 
But I like going in my garage now because I actually, I think, hey, I know that I own that and there's a reason for it. I mean, right? I remember when my grandma passed away. We were cleaning out her house. And this was like five years ago. We found a stack of Dixie cups that had never been opened. You guys all know what Dixie cups are? The short little cups? Here's how old they were. The spokesperson on them was Joe Namath. There's other, I see you young, beautiful people have no idea what I'm talking about. He was a quarterback for the Jets in the 70s. So I was like, man, this is worth money or something. Why was she saving her Dixie cups from 1975? But you have them at your house too, don't you? We all do. We all do. And so the question, what would I have to change to do this discipleship thing like Jesus did? This is not an altar call thing. This is like a life overhaul. Like it's not one decision. It's, it's the decisive moment. Yeah, Jesus, I want to do this. But we cannot do this on our own. Just, it, the, the faster you come with your, to your inability to do this, the better. That I have to have Jesus and I have other people or I'm never going to make this. So to do that, so this, I'll leave you with this, but we're going to finish today in a moment of communion, which is the very thing that Jesus, oh, and that's that book, if, if you want to see it online, it, this is a great read, uh, that, those three points I got from Mike Breen, I want to give him credit for that. Um, but Jesus says on the night he was betrayed, when the center of history was about to change. took bread, which is the Passover meal, and he completely reinterpreted this whole set, this whole moment. These guys have been celebrating their whole lives as good Jews. He gave thanks, he broke it, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, new covenant in my blood. New covenant, new agreement. This is like this is like at the Mount Sinai with the, 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 the fire and the smoke and the lightning. God speaking, saying, here's how to be in relationship with me. Jesus gives us a new covenant that Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, prophesied would happen. He says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So here's the moment. What we're going to remember in this moment. And, and, and if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a chance for you to re-engage and what I want you to examine in yourself, Paul talks about later in this passage, this is a moment for examination. This discipleship piece, which is kind of everything. It's everything. Being near and like Jesus. Being near and like Jesus. How, how have I been discipled? How have I made disciples? And what do I need to change to do it the way Jesus did? I want you to have a moment with Jesus about that. And here's the fun part. Jesus died in our place to do for us what we cannot do. Chief of which is to rise from the dead. Y'all can't do that, nor can I. But with that also is forgiveness. With that also is the power of the Holy Spirit to do in us what we can't do ourselves and participate with us as we act forward in being His disciples. So, if anybody's feeling like overwhelmed or condemnation, this is what the cross and communion is for, is to receive the grace, the unearned favor, 
the help of God to do what you cannot do on your own. And so let's receive that together today. And so, um, yeah, I'll lead you in each of these moments here. So we've got these cups. I've heard, been hearing them rustling. I've heard your rustling. Isn't that the worst when you're trying to open gum during a sermon? And it's like, sounds like firecrackers going off. Here we go. You got to split the top. Don't eat the plastic, please. So it's the symbol of Jesus' body being broken. We already got to see some of the benefits. We asked, Sarah got healed today because of Jesus' body being broken. The resurrection life of his his body being put back together and us receiving that. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that your body was broken for us. You suffered pain, disfigurement, you bled. Thank you. And so, Lord, we receive that into our bodies and our entire lives right now. Go ahead and take the bread. And I'm just going to lift this up. Maybe you even want to do this, because I just want to pray, proclaim over this, that this blood that was the Passover lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, said in Revelation 7, this is the blood of the Lamb who is slain to purchase people for God from every tribe, nation, and tongue. That if you feel guilty, this is your medicine. If you have regret, this is your healing. You have fear, anxiety, or worry. At the deepest levels, if you're afraid of dying, Hebrews 2 said Jesus died so we'd no longer live under the tyranny of the fear of death. This is your medicine. So we say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that the deepest fears and the deepest desires of being human have been met in you through your shed blood. And that, Lord, because of this, we can say with confidence we have significance. Our lives have purpose and direction that no matter how big we screw up, you will still redeem. We cannot run you off. And this blood speaks of that. We receive it now in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. And we're going to, in benediction, sing this song together if you guys would lead us.
So you might be asking yourself, so what do I do about all this? <laughs> Classroom apprenticeship, immersion. Here's what I want to say. Nothing. Don't do anything right now. Because if you're part of this community, th this is where we're going. And we're all stumbling forward together to become disciples, okay? So don't get nervous about go creating a new plan for your life, all right? Lord immerses us in a community to help take us along this thing. But one thing to do today is this, is will I say yes? Will I simply say yes? That I don't even know, really, Jesus, what this is going to look like, but I'm in. In fact, I, I want to invite anybody here today who, who you've not done that, or maybe you did and you're like, wait a second, I've only done the kind of imitating other people's stuff and whatever you're talking about this life turned upside down something in me is telling me that I'll come alive if I do that so, so as we close I want to invite you just to come up and pray with Anna or um, John or any of our elders who want to come up here and maybe some of us are just a spot you know maybe you're in a moment of decision moments do matter they matter when we make decisions. You're like, you're, maybe, maybe you're a college student. You only got a semester and a half left and you're trying to decide who I become. And I want to challenge you from the bottom of my souls to be a disciple and everything else at best second place. Whatever your job is, who cares? God will take care of you. I'm serious. He'll teach you how to work actually. You say, disciple, that's my life goal. Just come up and pray. So, Lord, thank you for this chance to rejoice in the simple gospel. Amen. Amen. If you'd like prayer, come on up. Thank you. Have a good week.